0: Well, it is an honor to be here this morning. I am so thankful for the opportunity to open up God's Word with you all together today. If you have a Bible, please make your way to Romans chapter 8. As you're turning there, uh, I've been a part of Woodside for 19 years. I started at this church two days after graduating college. Um, don't hold it against me, I was born and raised in Akron, Ohio. Then made my way down to Southern Ohio to Cedarville University and graduated from there in 2002 on a Saturday, drove home to Akron on Sunday, picked up my stuff, drove up here that Sunday night, and I started on Monday, and I'm still here. Um, So it's been an amazing journey of what God has done in this church and in this region ultimately over the last couple decades, and I've been so thankful to be a part of this church family. And of course, Pastor John and Anna are dear friends of my wife and I, Katie and I. And uh, so this news, as I shared last week, is something we've been praying about and praying through with them. And I know that God has a wonderful and true message for each of you today through His Word. So I'm looking forward to that as we dive in together. Uh, before I ask us to stand as I read the text, I, I also wanted to mention this morning, the, the team here, you don't even always notice the things that happen in the morning, but its it's been interesting, um, and I got some permission from uh, Pastor Josh uh, because just after the first worship set, um, his wife Laura was having a medical issue, and had to—they uh, had to take her by ambulance to the hospital. Um, she's okay, and her baby is okay. She's pregnant, uh, but she she uh, she had a little medical issue that they were working on. So they just now they're just checking some things, but. Uh, Josh just texted and said, you can share this with the church family. Everything seems to be okay. She'll be home soon to hopefully rest. And so we're going to pray for her. But in the midst of that whole movement this morning, this team kind of stepped up in between services and said, okay, I guess we're going to run with all of this. And so can we just thank those who volunteer and try to help and lead us each week? You know, when you think about that so often when we come into church, and maybe this is one of your first times or you've been here for a short period of time, and this is what we tend to do. We're so used to such amazing expectational levels of things that even when there's a little bit of a miscure we have to restart, it's like, oh man, we're we're not accustomed to that. But just understand how much is going on behind that we don't always see. And it really is a spiritual family, a church family that is caring for one another and helping one another, and that's always been true of this place. And I'm so thankful to see it, to see it in action, and to see God's provision for you and even for Josh and Laura in these moments. So if you would, as we begin, would you stand in honor of God's word? I'll read our verses this morning, and then we'll dive in together. This is what the Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 25. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see... We wait for it with patience. Father, thank you for your word. And today, as we hear from you, give us eyes to see so many distractions are around us. So give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear there's so many distractions around us, Father. So we want to hear from you. Father, would you speak to us now in Jesus' name? Amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much. Well, around this time every year, our family has a reoccurring argument. I have a 15-year-old, 13-year-old, 9-year-old. They would have been here today. They were already signed up to serve at our campus. And so next time I'm able to be here with you, they will certainly be with me as well. But they're, as they're serving, we, uh, we every year around this time go to Frankenmuth for my wife's birthday, and we celebrate that there. And that is the first day where you are allowed in the Zerulli family household in any way, shape, or form, to play Christmas music. And we have this reoccurring argument about how many days out from Christmas it should be before Christmas music becomes acceptable to listen to. We're uh, right now around 40 days-ish, one or two more, from Christmas. And I think that number's significant. It's certainly significant in the Bible. And so as a pastor, of course, when you hear numbers, you always go... To places in scripture because 40 is a number that signifies a period of testing followed by God's presence showing up in a very unique way. So of course there was 40 days of rain with Noah, 40 days of the Israelites in the wilderness in the desert, 40 days of temptation for Jesus Christ. So I'm expecting God to do something very special this year after our period of tribulation comes to an end. And why is it Tribulation. Because what this means is that my wife and my daughters will play the same 20 songs for 40-some days, starting yesterday. And so I will plead with the Lord to take this thorn from my side. I don't think he will. And I know I will wake up in the middle of the night, and I will be hearing some random pentatonic song playing in my head and saying, Jesus, please help me. But some of the songs really are incredible, and my favorite is probably the same as many of yours. It was the one we listened to the most yesterday, and that is O Holy Night, one of its trillion versions. But the lyrics, listen to them as we think about this text this morning. The song goes, O Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. The thrill of hope, that's what I want to focus in on that phrase this morning. The weary soul rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees, O hear the angel voices, O night divine, O night when Christ was born. O night divine, O night divine. Now there are some profound phrases in this Christmas carol, like this one. Long lay the world in sin and error Pining. How many of you know what the word pining means? It's not deforestation. That's not what it means. It means to yearn deeply or to suffer with longing or long painfully. The thrill of hope, the weary soul rejoices, or even the weary world rejoices. While the world yearns deeply and suffers with longing, on Christmas morning there's a thrill of hope brought into the unnoticing world through the birth of Christ. Now, now the song was written for Christmas morning in mind, but it could just as easily be written with Romans chapter 8 in mind. In fact, that's where some of the language comes from. That's where some of the, uh, the words themselves come from. And we've been walking through what many consider, certainly I do, the greatest chapter in God's holy word. It is so powerful, so profound, so full of truth, so full of grace, so full of hope, of which we just read so many times in those last few verses. Now, Romans 7, if we backed up to where we were a few months ago, Romans 7 tells us a story that we can all relate to. It's the story of trying to overcome sin in our own strength. And that story does not have a happy ending. That story ends with the unmerciful, unrelenting, unforgiving, murderous master of sin frustrating and trapping his victim in an endless cycle of failure, which either leads to self-centeredness or self-loathing. Now Romans 8, when you turn the page, helps us see that for those who are in Christ Jesus through faith, which is the ultimate clarifier, for those who are in Christ Jesus through faith, that specific group of people, the unstoppable work of the Holy Spirit will ultimately overwhelm and ultimately overcome the grip of sin and death. So through faith, the Christian is bound by God's love. And freed from the power of sin, as Pastor John shared last week. So the chapter here is a triumphant march back into the loving arms of the Father for eternity. It's a song full of hope. It's a chapter full of hope. A song full of hope reminding us that our present sufferings will give way to future glory. That's our main idea this morning. Our present sufferings will give way to future glory glory now as we talk about this topic I'll center in on that idea of hope because biblical hope is an altogether different concept than worldly hope and the main difference is that worldly hope has an element probably I would argue even the majority of it of uncertainty associated with it so when we use the word we use it like this I I hope I get this job there's a chance I'm not sure how big the chance is but I hope I hope our kids arrive home safe. This afternoon, I mean, plead with the Lord. I hope the Lions can get off the schneid and win a game. I mean, it's fleeting at best. You're just like, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't think. I'm not really sure. I, I'm, I'm certainly not certain. So I hope. Maybe hitting a little bit more close to home for all of us. I really hope that I like our next pastor. I really hope I can connect with him like I connected with Pastor John. I, I really hope that this church is going to be okay. I, I hope. I, I'm not sure, but I hope. See, that's worldly hope. Biblical hope is something altogether different. Biblical hope, the way Paul uses it here, is not an uncertain longing or the occasional sensation of warm fuzzies that gives a false sense of assurance that everything is going to be okay in the end. No, not at all. It is a confident expectation and desire for something good in the future. It is a confident expectation and desire for something good in the future. The Holy Spirit brings us hope in Christ that fills our spirit with confident resolve, knowing with certainty that everything works together for the good of those called according to the purposes of God. So what's that mean? <clears throat> that means in Christ, we are expectant people. In Christ, we are sure people, a certain people, a confident people, a resolved people, not just hopeful in the world's sense of the word, but hope filled, filled with the hope of the Spirit, something that produces within us a certain hope built on faith. And so when we think about our future, even the future of this church, we can rest assured it's the Lord's It's his church, it's his hand that sustains, it's his purposes at work. Who are we to actually say, I'm not sure, God, that you are really going to care for the very thing that you promised you would care for and that your son died for. And so we come to it with that assurance of faith, a hope-filled people. The certainty of your hope will strengthen in step with the depth of your faith. As you dive into the word, as you step into community, as you hear from God, that then in those moments the certainty of your hope will strengthen because your faith has deepened. A lot of faith, biblical faith, means a lot of confident hope. A lot of doubt means a lot of wishful thinking. Now Paul, what is he hoping for? We'll see here in a few moments. What are you hoping for today? In the biggest questions of life, are you hoping with worldly hope or godly certainty that the sufferings of this world will cease? Are you hoping that the unrelenting devastation of sin would give way to restored life and peace? Are you hoping with biblical hope that death itself will one day die? Friends, we far too easily settle for ambiguous worldly hope and stuff and things. And whenever we do that, it brings nothing more than a short-lived satisfaction. And yet Romans 8 is God's invitation into an infinitely better perspective. It explains why the Christian can be full of hope in the midst of suffering. It fills us with the glorious expectation of what is to come for us as a result of the finished work of Christ, the continuing work of the Spirit, and the unstoppable force of God's love for His children. It is very triune. So Paul tells us what creation itself and the people of God are hoping for in this present age. And if we have ears to hear and eyes to see as we prayed, we'll become hope-filled people who have the strength in Christ to endure through every trial and suffering that we experience together. So first, in verses 18 through 22, we will see that creation groans in hope for its full restoration. We'll spend the majority of our time here. Look at verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us, the us, those in Christ. Verse 18 gives the thesis for this entire passage. It's a contrast between present suffering and future glory. Paul compares our future hope in Jesus with our current reality of pain, our current situation of experiencing life in this depraved world our current reality of suffering and discomfort and his conclusion when he thinks about it is that there is no comparison this is an overwhelming statement and I find it it takes quite a bit of faith to even believe and to trust in Especially to those walking through the reality of suffering today. Think about his words. For I consider, he says, that the sufferings of this present time, which can be absolutely overwhelming and horrible, are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now you might be thinking, Paul doesn't know what he's talking about. He doesn't know what my situation's like. He doesn't know how hard it's been. He doesn't know the suffering that I've been through, that we've been through, that we're going through. But if that's what you might be tempted to think, then you don't know Saul of Tarsus who became the Apostle Paul. The New Testament makes it clear that he knew all about suffering and pain. He knew what it was like to starve, to be tormented, to be threatened, chased, mocked, abandoned, unjustly sentenced. He was constantly in prison. He was put in literal chains. He was beaten near to death. He was stoned, not with drugs, with real rocks, He was shipwrecked. He was whipped to the point that he said he bore the very marks of Jesus Christ. Paul's idea of hope wasn't some hypothetical, mystical roll of the dice and I hope it works out. Not at all. It was his reality. It was his motivation. And he wants us to embrace the very same thing. Now you have your list and I have mine. And if we could talk about suffering that we experience, not as a result of sin, but suffering that is, that is not self-inflicted, suffering that is the result of our faith, that's what he's referring to here, or it's a result of the brokenness in our world, it is real, it is painful, it is often very horrible, and it is always close by. So Paul says, I want to remind you of what Christ has brought us. I want to remind you what his life for ours bought us, that the Holy Spirit whispers to us and that the word of God shouts at us. I want to remind you, he says, that the hope of my faith surpasses the pain of my present. The hope of my faith surpasses the pain of my present. Maybe you haven't looked into the word of God to discover what our hope will be like. Maybe you haven't looked into the word of God to discover what is gained through salvation. Maybe you thought that salvation's only prize is the one day removal of pain in heaven. And that is a glorious reality. That's good. But it's much greater than that. Our hope isn't as much about an eternal place as it is about an eternal person. And that eternal person is someone we have access to right now. It's a present reality as well as a future reality. We now have the indwelling spirit of Jesus Christ. And so right now we are overwhelmed with the sense of his spirit. Our hope is in this eternal person and all that that means. That means, yes, we will be with Christ. But that also means right now we have Christ. We will be like Christ. Right now we have the spirit making us like Christ. We will will be able to see Christ. Right now we see him through faith. We will live with God. Right now we live with him through faith. He actually indwells us. He makes his dwelling, it says, his abode within us. Enjoying God, sustained by God, filled with God, worshiping God. So if and when you suffer, don't lose heart. Don't lose hope. That's the exact moment to exercise biblical hope when you're in the midst of trial when you're in the midst of doubt when you're filled with questions when you're uncertain and if and when you suffer you are filled with this hope this is what paul describes in second corinthians chapter four he says so we do not lose heart we hold on to hope through our though our outer self is wasting away our inner self is being renewed day by day And then he says this peculiar thing in verse 17, for this light, momentary affliction. How does that list that I just shared with you from the New Testament that it gives us with his life, how is that considered light, momentary affliction? It doesn't sound light. It doesn't really sound all that momentary. Sounds like it's been consistent. And it's certainly intense affliction. And yet, he says, for this light, momentary affliction, is he just minimizing our pain? Is he just minimizing our experience or even his? But look at the rest of the verse. Is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison? As we look not to the things that are seen, sounds very similar to our text, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Now maybe your hang up is that you're in love with the present pleasures of life and it makes it hard to imagine that the future glory is better than the fun that you're having right now. And so so often within American Christianity, the Western view of thinking where it's like, you know, it, it's consumer driven, it's joy now, it's pleasure now, it's satisfaction now, it's me at the top of the totem pole making sure that all of my personal fulfillment is being experienced in life. So so many people, I think, in our culture, they kind of sit there and say, that, that sounds okay, but I think this might be better. This might seem better in a moment or in a season. It's fun to get drunk. It's fun to chase money. It's fun to sleep around, or so we think, until it's not. C.S. Lewis, uh, this quote, maybe you've heard it many times before. I come back to it very frequently. It's so powerful to me. He's one of my favorite authors. And this is what he wrote. He said, Indeed, if we consider the uh, unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling ourselves Fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of holiday at the sea. Maybe you think, I just don't believe you. I'm not sure if I believe Paul. Well, then what about Jesus? Jesus. He had the expectation that every hardship and all the suffering he experienced wouldn't come close to comparing to the glory that was in his future. He tells us in Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul says that he believed it so deeply that though he, Jesus, was in the form of God, he, Jesus, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men." Now, if we think about Christ, he is fully God, fully human. It's this mystery of this God-man that we describe and try to understand, and there's some parts of it that are so profound we'll never fully comprehend. But if Jesus, in his fullness of humanity, never had to hope in faith with biblical expectation, then he couldn't have understood what it was like to be a human. So although he is fully God, when he came and served in this life, he chose to submit to the will of the Father, and he had to depend upon the Holy Spirit as you and I do, in his humanity. And as he depended upon that Holy Spirit perfectly, it filled him with perfect confidence. He was assured, he was certain, He was so certain that no one could turn his head to the left or to the right away from God's plan that went right through suffering. And Philippians eventually goes on to say because of his obedience to the Father, every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He invites us into that same journey, that same experience. Listen to the Holy Spirit, follow His ways, listen to His voice as He calls us into this way of life. It's going to lead us into difficult moments, difficult trials because of the depravity of the world around us. And yet, on the other side of that, we must be certain in our hope of what is to come. How did Paul know that the hope of our faith was better than the pain of our present? Because he was hope filled with what was to come. Look at verse 19, back to Romans chapter 8. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. And now he's going to go on and explain what that looks like. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now now the phrase waits with eager longing it comes from a group of words that have the idea of stretching one's neck out it's like putting your neck out forward in order to see something it's like you can't quite see around the corner or around the curtain so you're just gonna poke your neck out stick your head out because you're expectantly waiting to see something it's like sitting on the edge of your seat It's the idea that all of creation, it's leaning in, it's straining to see God's children enter into the glory of God. Why? Why is creation pining, longing, anticipating, straining to see? Because it has been subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. Now, who subjected it? We did. Ultimately, through the first, Adam. We did, this is a reference back to the garden itself where humanity was created by God to have dominion over the earth. So when we were cursed, everything we were meant to care for and have authority over also became cursed, subjected to futility. And so often we look back and say, man, I wish our first parents wouldn't have done that. We would have done the same. That rebellion is within each of us. So all of inanimate creation here groans to be set free from its corruption. We have, we've been reminded that the animal world and the physical nature itself has been invaded by fear and violence. The loveliest scenes in nature, they all seem so beautiful, but they are witness to bloody horrors. Floods and hurricanes and droughts and tornadoes and avalanches and earthquakes stalk the earth. For now, between the fall and the future restoration, all of creation groans in labor pains, he says, waiting to be set free from its bondage to corruption. And it will be set free. When? When God's work of redemption is done. If you want motivation for mission, here it is. When God's work of redemption is done, when every son and daughter joins his family through faith, then restoration comes. Now think about this for a picture. All all the pictures, at least that I've seen on social media, of mothers holding their newborn children, their their newborn babies. It's a beautiful picture. So often, you know, you'll see the couple or the mother, she'll kind of get herself back together, and she might even put on some makeup, do her hair, and there she is with the baby, and it's this beautiful picture. This is minutes or whatever it might be after birth, and They're always posted. They're always there. You can go look at your family uh, members. You can go look at your friends. You always will find that picture, this beautiful picture. But you know what I never see? I never see a post of the mother's face when she is in the middle of the worst labor pains. Like, where's that post? Right in the middle of the worst, most intense labor pains of bringing in new life, Take the picture post. That's not the one we look at. We look at the one at the end, when it's finished. This is the picture we have here. It's like creation itself, which includes all of us. We're in the midst of that labor pain. And we haven't yet received the fruition of all of the gospel message, of all the glory of God, of all of what God is doing in the world. And so we wait. We wait for that moment. That is what Paul is after here. So, our hope is that the world will be restored. And right now, we know that fear and perversion and abuse and death and natural disasters and a lack of resources, all of these things wage war and wreak havoc on the world. Revelation 21 gives us that picture. And uh, we don't have time to go through all of it, but it says that God is going to restore heaven and earth. And John writes in verse 5 And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Jesus started this process with his arrival to the world. The world, of course, didn't notice. All of heaven celebrated, but just a handful of humans even paid any attention. I feel like that's what's happening right now. There's just this handful of human beings called the christian brotherhood the christian sisterhood christianity itself where where in this world we are meant to look at all the depravity around us and although the world right now they're just kind of focused on their own thing they're going their own way they're pursuing their own ends And all of it's just leading up towards more depravity, more sin, more frustration. Yet we have this picture of what is to come. So we get to lean forward and strain our necks out and say, I see it, I trust it, I have hope in it, and I'm going to live in light of that reality. And when we do that, that's when the world says, wait a second, that looks different. That's not how I'm used to walking through life. When they see the straining. That's when they see biblical hope. If we're like them, we're like, I I don't see anything. I'm just overwhelmed with my present circumstances. Then it's just more of the same. And yet creation, it waits because we know we're part of this bigger story. Our hero has come. He's faced challenges and struggles and trials. He overcame every single one of them and he won the victory. We're waiting upon the finalization of that victory. And so he freely shares Even now, his spoils of victory with the entire universe. And ultimately, that will come to its fulfilled ending. The second point, and much more briefly, Paul tells us what creation itself and the people of God are hoping for. In this present age, the creation groans in hope for its full restoration. And secondly, and God's people, groan in hope for our full redemption. Look at verses 23 through 25. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Those of us who have made Jesus Lord and Savior live in this already but not yet reality. We have already experienced salvation. Paul says here, notice the language, for in this hope we were saved. We were saved. It's a current reality, past tense. We were saved, but we haven't yet fully experienced it. One day, every part of us, even our physical bodies, will be redeemed along with the physical world. So we groan and our bodies groan. Think about it. What was the noise you made when you woke up this morning if you're over 35 years old? I mean, it's groaning, and it, it's so frustrating. I, I hit my wife is turning forty this Tuesday. That's why we were celebrating uh, in Frankenmuth just yesterday. We do this dinner at Bavarian Inn every year, and that just, you know, it speeds up our death. But um, with all the with all the food, but it's kind of worth it. The chicken's fantastic, and so we go and. We celebrate it there, but I was thinking about this season of life, and I'm like, yeah, my body, I, don't, I just don't like what's happening to it. And people that are older are like, just you wait, just you wait, just you wait, just you wait. But I get to say to 30-year-olds and 20-year-olds, just you wait, just you wait. And so we all say that to each other, and that's what we do. And I'm kind of entering that phase of life where, you know, I, I tried to run from my car to a door, and, like, I was noticing my form, and I was like, I'm running like an old man right now. And no offense, but it was happening. I was just at the state meet for my daughter who has a body that works, and she's in high school, and she's 15 years old, and she qualified for states, and so she's running a 5K at the Michigan International Speedway a couple weeks ago. And these kids, I watched all the group of them, me and Pastor Jeff, our Warren Campus pastor. He's actually her coach. We're running around the course trying to get to the next place so we can shout at them and say go and go and, you know, don't, don't die, just keep running and, and all these things. And so you're watching these kids, and sure enough, like, the, the boy who finished in first, he crossed the finish line a 5K, 3.1 miles, in, like, barely over 15 minutes. And then the girls, they're running around. My, my daughter, she's running at under 7-minute mile, and, and I'm just like, I don't know how, I can't do that. Everything's just kind of breaking down, and if you're getting older, you know the same. There was, there was a time not too long ago, I went to pick up a kiddie pool full of, full of just water. It was, it was for my children, and we filled it up for them to play in, and I was dumb, and I went down here, and I didn't use my legs, and I didn't do like this. I just went down and went like this, and I like ripped all these muscles in my stomach. Like how horrible is that? And so now I have all this weakness and back pain and all this stuff starts showing up. It's like our bodies break down. I can't wait for the day where they're restored. I can't wait. It's going to be awesome. I don't know. I, I hope I don't look like I did at 13, but I hope I, hope I feel strong. And, and I think we will. I mean, th- this is the thing about this already but not yet reality The whole point here is while we groan, it says we also have the first fruits of our salvation. We groan in our bodies. We groan in this world. We grow tired of what we read and see and experience. We get exhausted with what's around us day after day after day, and yet we have the first fruits of our salvation, and that means that right now, you will never be more forgiven than you are in Christ, You will never be more justified than you are right now in Christ. If you are in Christ, then you know the hope of your faith. You felt his peace when you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You felt his joy when you followed your Savior in baptism. You have the first fruits, but it's just a taste of what is to come. So we wait patiently, having received the Holy Spirit as the deposit of our salvation. We wait eagerly, leaning in, looking forward on the edge of our seat. We wait. What are you waiting for today? What are you on the edge of your seat for today? What are you hoping for today? Christian faith is not wishful thinking like the economy or your retirement account. Not at all. First Peter said it this way, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Christian hope is not wishful thinking, it's an expectation. It's not wishful thinking because the empty grave is not just a wish, it's a reality. Have you experienced the certain hope that only comes through Jesus Christ? You can. Pastor John, this church, has preached this gospel message for decades in the past, and it will, by God's grace, continue to preach it for decades to come that you can give your life to Jesus today through faith and experience a certain hope that you can look forward to with eager expectation. So through Christ, we are hope-filled people. With Christ, you can say, yes, there is pain, but I'm more than hopeful in the world sense of the term, I'm hope-filled that God is with me. Yes, there is struggle, but I'm more than hopeful, I'm hope-filled and I know Jesus Will see me through it, whatever it is. I know he's got me. I know he's got us. I know he's got you. I know he's got this place. Who are we to say, Jesus, I'm so concerned about what you're going to do with your church. Does he not care for his bride? Does he not care for you? We have to know and trust he has every single one of us in faith firmly in his hand. And as long as we are devoted to his way and word, that's exactly where we will remain. So I know he's got me. I know he's going to see me through it. I know that there's nothing that can separate me or us from his love through faith. I know as sure as Jesus was born, as sure as he died, and as sure as he rose again, that I will rise again and nothing formed against me will stand. I've got more than worldly hope. I'm full of heavenly hope. That is much better. Father, thank you for this day and for your word. Father, I want to pray for all those who are here today and they have yet to experience and taste the goodness of hope that comes through faith in Jesus. That even in these moments as they watch or as they listen here in the room, Father, that they would respond to the good news that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God and man came in flesh, died for our sin and rebellion, died so that this depraved world that has been subjected to futility would ultimately be restored. And Father, we can experience that new life, that new creation through faith in Him. It's Him alone. It's not our words, it's His powerful words that claim such exclusivity the exclusive message that salvation is found only in the name of Jesus, yet it's not exclusive to one type of person or another. It's it's available to all, everyone, without showing any measure of distinction. So Father, I pray that if there be any here today who have not received Christ, that they would trust him today in faith, respond to him in faith, And for all of us who have, Lord, help us to walk in that faith full of heavenly hope, not just wishful thinking, defining hope the way the world does. We have certainty of what is to come. Help us to live with that measure of confidence, that measure of joy, straining around the corner, expectant, excited, joy-filled with what is to come. Father, we will do all of these things because of what you have done for us. You are holy, righteous, and good, and so all we can do in response is worship you. Father, we offer that to you now in Jesus' name. Amen.